It's time to hammer down and push your IndyCar to the limit. Elio Castro Neves wins the 105th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. From turbochargers to tight turns, we're covering everything that's happening on and off the track with the NTT IndyCar Series. Scott Dixon is a six-time IndyCar champion. How about that? This is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. Welcome, everyone, to your stop, as I always say, for anybody in the IndyCar Nation to get up to speed on the NTT IndyCar Series. Why? Well, not because of me, but because of my partner. He's in the cockpit on ovals, and he gives us the inside scoop on everything that's going down at Ganassi Racing. You know I'm talking about TK Tony Canon. TK, I understand that you're back in Brazil racing stock cars tell me a little bit about that before we review mid-ohio well like uh you know like my life this year one week in america one week in south america <laughs> so uh, yeah we have a race this weekend uh, um, in a small town called cascavel which is uh, um, a name of a snake actually here in brazil so um, we'll see what's going to happen still uh you know trying to get uh acquainted to to the new car here but uh yeah here I am doing our show. It's funny if, if people only knew that I've probably done our every show we've done this year from a different place every time. So uh, which is pretty interesting. You realize that if our Sirius XM marketing department was on the ball, they would begin to build this as an international show. <laughs> but no. <laughs> hey, well, we'll get there next year when we when we resign our multi-million dollar deal. There you go. I already got a million dollar contract. It's a dollar a year for a million years. I'm saying multi, not a million (laughs) dollars. Listen, (laughs) uh, last week, uh, I said that if Penske didn't win, we were going to have to sacrifice a goat. No sooner did the show air than the uh, ASPCA showed up at my door and wanted to take me in. Thank God the goats of America and the goats of the world are safe. Finally, Team Penske gets off the schneid. What do you think? Uh, it was close, huh? I mean, obviously, Joseph dominated the race, but towards the end there with the tire wear, uh, Ericsson was getting pretty close. But, I mean, you know, well-deserved, Jack. I mean, come on. Mm. The guy that should have won the last two before this one uh, finally got a win. And amazing how um, impressive it was, how they kept the team morale up. We're going to talk to his engineer, I'm assuming, uh, pretty soon in this show and then we can ask him that kind of question but uh, yeah i mean you got one see look at look at you know i got what three out of the four right and you go yeah. we're getting it right every show i mean people should you know listen to us more often well and and to your point uh i want you to listen to a little bit of uh of joseph's post race uh comments because it was pretty evident to me a he was relieved but B, just as you alluded to, that tire degradation, almost you could see it repeating itself because Erickson, man, he closed the gap. It went from like seven or eight seconds down to under a second. I understand race traffic came into play, but there's no question as I watched it that Erickson was faster. Yeah, I mean, and, and actually uh, I'm watching this thing and I'm saying, is it going to be a curse that he's going to go yellow yeah. with three to go and then something's going to happen to Joseph again? Because I have to say, uh, 
it was going to be interesting if we had a restart with two laps to go um, with with the tire wear that, that Joseph had, although he had more push to passes and he used them all. Used a lot, um, yeah. Which is funny, right? How a car can dominate the race for so long. And they, they called that his last pit stop was a little earlier than Marcus. So basically he had more laps in his tires. And, and almost cha- it almost changed the course of the race. And this is how I think people don't see another series. And I'm not just trying to give props to IndyCar, but that's, you know, that's that's how you manage a car that you, it led the entire race, Jack. It wasn't one lap where he got there. Dominated. He got lucky. Oh, yeah. No. Strat- it dominated and almost lost the race of the last three laps. Well, let, let's take and pause for a moment and listen to a little bit of what Joseph's comments were after he finally got his first checkered flag of 2021 at Mid-Ohio. You know, I, I'd start each stint and feel like uh, I had everything under control. You get to the back end of it, and I thought I was starting to fall apart. Um, <laughs> so it was really hard to hang on. But, you know, I had, uh, I had my wingman, Tim, coaching me all the way, uh, just making sure I knew what was up, up to date. Um, but I don't know what to say other than they've been, you know, this team's been doing the job. You know, everyone's been giving me a hard time asking uh, what's up with us not winning a race. But, you know, I don't think these... Uh, these people at Team Penske could have done anything different. We've, uh, you know, we've been in the game uh, almost every race, had, had great performance, and obviously uh, great support from our partner in Team Chevy. So it's it's great to seal a win here finally on the year. We're, we're going to need probably three or four more of these if we want to win this championship. But uh, this team is capable of it. So I'm just excited to be back. You know, two weeks off was uh, was enough, and to come back and you know finally get a win. I'm just I'm happy for our whole crew. How about a win going into your hometown race on August 8th in Nashville? Yeah, it's good. it's great, right? It's good uh, good motivation. Um, Tim said we needed to be the first pit box out in Nashville, so we got that done yesterday. We got some confidence with this win, so I you know I feel like we can we can make it all happen. I always believe that. I've I've told these guys I believe we can any win any race we go into. Nashville would be a dream to to have a good result for. Um, but just you know so proud. Great to have Expel in the car. I think it's the first win we got for Expel. So uh, super pumped for that partnership and you know let's keep it up. We got we got what six races to go. Um, we can make it happen. Believe me. So, Tony, you know, the good good news is, yeah, you get the monkey off your back. Momentum goes and shifts at this point in time, I would think, at least temporarily, to Team Penske. And lo and behold, and we'll talk to Gavin Ward, uh, Joseph's engineer, in the next segment. You're going to a brand-new racetrack, the Music City uh, uh, Temporary Street Course, in your hometown. New Garden has got to absolutely be beyond the stars knowing that he's got about 20 days to enjoy the win and then be able to try and figure out how he's going to get enough tickets for all his friends and family in Nashville. Yeah. I mean, it's positive and negative, Jack. I've, I've been in his shoes when we used to race in Miami. I've been in his mm. shoes when IndyCar came to Brazil. It's a lot of distraction. I mean, obviously it helps because you have a lot of fans, people cheering for you, but you add that pressure that you want to win. Obviously, if there is a race that you want to win, it's your hometown race. Um, you need to accommodate everybody that is trying to get passes. You're going to get, I used to call that I gained a couple hundred friends during <laughs> the race week in Brazil. People, they're calling, hey, just calling to check how you're doing. And then you go, hi. And you go, but, but, by, by, by the way, way by yeah. chance you have, you know, trying to accommodate everybody. A big distraction. And I think he's coming from a good momentum. But look at, like, his, his responsibility to do well there, it's going to be huge. On top of it, 
he's 69 points behind in the championship. And yeah. it is, there are not many races left. And the guys there he's fighting with, they're all like, it's going to be okay. He beats one or two, but there's when it comes to the top three there. So he's going to have to focus if he really wants to be in a championship contention here. So I would say the distraction with the public and, you know, I know, I mean, Nashville is going to be a great event, right? It's the music city. They are building this race like, you know, IndyCar, apart from a great venue, we're kind of like a show, right? We would do it for the fans, people that follow. I mean, they know how we do it. So there'll be a lot of distractions. So we'll see how he's going to do it. All right, Tony, that, there's a lot to unpack about Mid-Ohio, but there's also a lot on the horizon. And not necessarily, as we will for most of this show, previewing Nashville, but also on the horizon as it applies. And let's start with 2023. That's how far down the road we need to go, where IndyCar mm -hmm. is going to be introducing a new engine formula that will incorporate uh, hybrid technology to make these engines more like what America is driving. And Roger Penske in a recent interview said that there could be as many as three to four engine manufacturers that are being courted right now. They run the gamut from Lamborghini to Hyundai. What do you think about all that? Well, I think, you know, uh, to be honest, uh, economically, uh, as a serious credibility, we need extra manufacturers. Obviously, we have great partners with Honda and Chevy. They just announced that they re-signed multi-year deals there. So we know for a fact that they're staying. But having more competition, Jack, what sometimes we would like people to understand is not just adding a manufacturer because we want to add another brand mm. to the series. We're adding brand, we're adding exposure, but also we're adding sponsorship to some teams that actually, by the manufacturer coming in, they're going to actually sponsor that team to develop their engine. Because like in any other sport, we see when Honda came into to Champ Car and IndyCar and Chevy, they came back, a new engine, they, they're not going to be up to speed right away. So we need, especially with the new format, they try to go hybrid and a little bit this, a little bit of that. There is some development. And that's how you actually get some teams to say, well, I need sponsorship. I want to get that driver. We don't get the paid drivers like we do because every day we'll go and, and we'll see a growth on teams. We'll see a growth in the series and then they get the exposure. So I think it's great. In my opinion, I think Roger is going to has plenty of power to offer uh, any manufacturer that wants to come in. But at the same time, it needs to fit what the manufacturer is looking for. And that's, that's how manufacturers get involved in racing, right? We're developing things, not just because they want to be in racing, but they're developing things because they want to train their engineers. They want to get the same product to the consumers out there. So hopefully we'll be lucky enough to have a couple of manufacturers that are interested in, they're in the same line of work that Honda and Chevy are uh, to be able to come to the series. Well, certainly and the hybrid technology makes it very, very attractive because that's where the auto industry is pointing towards for the future. The other news, look, uh, let's acknowledge the elephant in the room. Uh, predominantly, this 2021 campaign uh, is built around road courses, permanent road mm -hmm. courses, temporary street courses. There are a handful of ovals where you get to strap it on, like at Texas, et cetera. But Roger's saying that come 2022, 
the goal is to add more oval tracks. As we said before we went on the air, would love to see places like Homestead, like Richmond, like, and Roger brought this up, Iowa. Um, and in the case of all three, they're controlled by NASCAR. So what do you think? What's the possibility or the odds that either one of them or all of them could be part of the 2022 campaign? Well, I think Roger, you know, he's going back to, there's a huge disparity this year between the road street courses and the ovals and IndyCar was obviously always trying to balance that out. But I think with the pandemic, we had to drop a couple of the races. Um, Richmond was one of them. I think we're coming with at least two more, uh, which it makes me really happy because yeah. I'm going to. Well, hold on. Makes you happy depending on what your part Jimmy Johnson decides. wants to do because True, but I mean word is he is going oval testing my friend he is he is but I, I still believe that uh, Jimmy's going to stick to the program of he's going oval testing because he wants to do the 500 I don't believe he's going to be doing all of them and if it's for the 500 it's very simple we're just going to have to add an extra car and, and that's simple. it or <laughs> if he decides to go full-time Chip's going to have a problem. We have a contract. No, he, doesn't have a, the... TK, he doesn't have a problem. You don't understand. He's flush with True. cash now. All right. I forgot Chip about Nassi that. He's selling not... his NASCAR operation. There's plenty for TK. To let the beast eat. All right. Let's add a full-time ride for Tony Kanan under the Ganassi stable next year. It's doable. It is doable, but we'll see. I'll, 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 I'll be happy with doing all the ovals. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think for the series, it's going to be great. And the diversity, uh, it needs that, that, that diversity. So I've heard Homestead. I heard Iowa, uh, like you did, which, uh, you know, between these two, if I had to pick, if not the two, I would pick Iowa at any time. Homestead, it's kind of the layout of the track. Nowadays, the biggest challenge for IndyCar is NASCAR changing all their tracks to fit, to suit their product yeah um, it's completely you know for us is the opposite it doesn't suit ours so we need to be careful what ovals we choose as well and roger is very very aware of that because we don't want to have a boring race either all right let's light this candle on this episode of brick by brick shall we coming up next gavin ward team penske's race engineer for joseph newgarden finally the goats of the world celebrated because one did not need to be sacrificed. Why? Because Team Penske finally got off the schneid with Joseph Newgarden, as we said, winning at Mid-Ohio. Gavin is coming your way next, right after this timeout. Coming up next. We welcome in Gavin Ward, who is Team Penske's race engineer for the winning car from the Team Penske organization <laughs> when Joseph Newgarden drove it to victory at Mid-Ohio last week. From my side, and, and working with Joseph, we didn't overthink things in terms of our approach. We basically said, it's gonna, we keep doing what we're doing and the wins are gonna come. You know, We were pretty confident of that, pretty happy with how we were working. So that was kind of our approach. It's like, this, it's been a rough little spell here, but it won't last forever. Quick pit stop, and then we're back on the track. This, this is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick on NBC Sports Audio, Channel 211. We're hitting the apex. 
to bring you the hottest news from the NTT IndyCar Series. This is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. It's Roger Penske's only American driver in this team, and he is going to win on Independence Day on Penske's 50th anniversary. And it's Penske's first win of 2021. Great job, boys. Welcome back to Brick by Brick. Jack Arute along with Tony Kanan, and we make it a trio now as we welcome in Gavin Ward, who is Team Penske's race engineer for the winning car, finally, from the Team Penske organization <laughs> when Joseph Newgarden drove it to victory at Mid-Ohio last week. Gavin, I've got to think that collectively there was a giant sigh of relief when, when Joseph crossed the finish line. Yeah, yeah, you better believe it, oh, man. From the whole team, every everybody at Penske, I think, um, was just uh, was waiting for one to go our way. So, yeah, pretty happy with that. I hate to use the word luck because, in many ways, I don't believe in luck. I think luck is when you capitalize on an opportunity. But the offshoot to that is you guys have had no luck. I mean, the cars have been fast. <laughs> And uh, and yet there was always something, you know, minor or unexpected or, well, this never happened to us before that kept you out of victory lane. Uh, when you were in the midst of all of that, uh, how difficult was it, especially with your engineering background, to try and pursue and isolate what some of the problems or issues mechanically or arrow wise may have contributed to you not getting to victory lane? Yeah, you know, I think we didn't, from my side, and, and working with Joseph, we, we didn't try and overthink things. Obviously, you know, when you have a mechanical problem, you look into what went wrong and, and we and make some changes to, to, to improve that. Um, you know, that, and that was the case at Road America. But in general, we, we, we didn't overthink things in terms of our approach. We, we basically said, it's going to keep doing what we're doing and the winds are going to come. You know, we were pretty confident of that, pretty happy with how we were working. So, yeah, that, that was kind of our, our approach. It's like, this, this is, it's been a rough little spell here, but it won't last forever, you know. Hey, Gavin, Tony Kanan here. Um, you know, a uh, quick question for you. Obviously, we talked a lot about how you guys, I mean, Jack and I probably, Jack picked New Garden to win at least uh, the last three races. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, um, and you, we, we, we saw what kept happening, which is completely out of your guys' control. How, um, you know, how did you guys keep the team morale up? Because I know it, those kind of breaks, especially on a back-to-back -back races like that, it takes a toll on a team. And I think between you and Joseph, like you guys probably were the core of that team. What did you guys do not to get down and say, you know, oh man, this is so bad. We're in, you know, like this is just not happening right now. Yeah. And that was really important. I thought, um, you know, Detroit, when, when it didn't go our way with the strategy there and, and Pato got us at the end, you know, we made a point. I, I thought Tim was very good. His first thing he said is, you know, we're there. The winds are going to come, you know, this won't last forever. And you make a point at the end of the race, you go around, you, you pat everybody on the back and, and say, you did, a, you know, you emphasize that you we did a good job here. Um, it didn't go our way. We wanted more. Um, but you know, we, we keep, we keep doing working like this and doing as well as we are. It's going to, the winds are going to come. And that's what I put it, you know, in the summary, you know, the notes that I'll send to Joseph before a race kind of 
we keep doing our thing and it's going to be all right. You know, for us, it's just sort of reinforcing that we are doing, we're doing the right thing here. A couple of things haven't quite rolled our way. Um, but, uh, you know, and emphasizing the positives um, out of it. But definitely, you know, Joseph is probably the best. He's definitely the best driver I've ever worked with uh, when it comes to his ability to reset from a disappointing result. I mean, I've never, he's, he's always been exceptionally good at that. So that's something that's been on our side as well. Gavin, you just mentioned uh, your, your uh, little exchanges in writing post-race analysis with your driver. Uh, I honed the skill at a very young age of being able to read upside down so that I could uh, take a peek at stuff, but forgive me, instead of doing that, can you share with us, kind of after each race what the key points are that that you put paper to pen or in today's technology put onto an email and send on to new garden yeah yeah i mean um uh for sure i mean um we we usually have a phone call after each race as well just to make sure we kind of go through um everything in terms of how we thought the weekend went and and what we need to do better for me the most important thing when i look looking at a race after it's done is to understand um you know coming back or going to the next event what would you do differently mm -hmm. um so coming out of uh mid ohio you know our, our focus was you know we thought we had really good pace we thought we had great sort of outright pace joseph was really comfortable in the car the, the weak point for us that you know exposed us to the end of the race was rear tires going off and, um on the black tire particularly on the primaries so you know for us we were looking at okay what what changes could we could we have done for the race car probably wouldn't have done much differently for the qualifying car but what could we have done for the race car to take care of those reared a little better you know, that's one example um and uh you know going into the next event, I'll also kind of take a fresh look at it as well, review sort of timing info and see what sectors we thought we were strong or weak and race and qualifying and then, you know, kind of dig, in it, dig into it from there. Well, let me share with you a little nugget you may or may not be aware of, though. Um, Joseph was on my podcast and shared with me that although he's not called it often, it's his secret nickname that he'd like to use. So you might want to, uh, next email exchange, put dear angel assassin i'm not kidding that's what he wants to be known as yeah yeah i get that i get that yeah yeah we've talked about that as well it's funny i've seen that kind of approach um with uh actually a similar mindset with uh, daniel uh um ricardo when i work with him <laughs> so gavin so that's a good uh, lead to my question obviously you worked uh in my opinion um to at this era to the two best teams i've ever known which is red bull racing and formula one and penske could you share with us without compromising yourself of course but uh, you know the curiosity as a fan people would say you know, as a successful team, we always think that success comes with, you know, the same type of work mentality or dedication. What was to you, you know, obviously 
you're Canadian, you're born in Canada, but then you went to Europe to work in F1, then you came back to the States. What do you think was the biggest differences in these two gigantic teams that you worked with? Uh, and then I'm not saying better or worse, but that you noticed, you know, that one has better than the other or vice versa. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I think one, I'll start with one thing that I think is in common. Um, and uh, Penske and, and Red Bull, actually, from an attitude, from a positivity on the shop floor, you know, point of view, I think they're, they're very much on par and, and very, very good relative to a lot of competitors. I mean, they, I think they have a really motivated um, and positive and not a lot of negativity within the sort of general core group. Um, one thing that I'd say is very different here is the level of, and I'd say better at Penske, is the level of collaboration between cars on the same team, between drivers on the same team. You know, I think in F1, it's a real, your biggest enemy is your teammate for the drivers. You know, that that's the way they view it. And it, it, it becomes a, it's very competitive within the team, teammate to teammate, and the collaboration can suffer. I think Red Bull was actually better than a lot of F1 teams in that regard. Um, but here, you know, the amount that race engineers are trying to help each other and the drivers are trying to help each other to try and push the whole team forward is, is very different and very positive. Um, and it would be, if you could get that into a Formula One team, I think would be extremely positive. It's just almost difficult to imagine. <laughs> On the flip side, you know, I think that one of the things that Red Bull, Red Bull were just, um, I mean, the budget and the scale over there is obviously a lot larger and they're like, um, as a result, you know, their ability to kind of put a ton of resource on a problem and turn things around incredibly quick was, was really impressive. Um, turn, a, turn a whole organization of maybe 800 people on a dime over there was super responsive. I thought that was quite, quite, a, quite a nice thing that, that Red Bull was able to do. You're listening to the thoughts of Gavin Ward. He is Joseph Newgarden's team Penske race engineer right here with Tony Kanan and yours truly, Jack Arud on Brick by Brick. All right, Gavin, let's turn our attention. I know that y'all have a, a test uh, during this, what IndyCar is referring to summer break, but on the horizon is a, a, a race that has got to be from an engineering standpoint, a, a little daunting because it's filled with unknowns. We're going to race on a temporary street course across a bridge they're calling it the nashville music city grand prix but how do you assemble at least the thought process of what to expect you can only learn so much from a blueprint can you not yeah yeah for sure i mean it's, it's a super exciting challenge and you know actually the schedule's pretty limited running before we got we've got two 45 minute practices before we qualify so you know being getting up to speed there is going to be just a real challenge and, and, uh, and, um, a, uh, really important, really important. And obviously it's a really important race for, for Joseph being his home race and an important race for our championship. So, um, for us, you know, luckily, uh, with, um, Chevy, we have some support and I think all the teams well, Honda or Chevy have some support and they'll have, you know, we, we're working a way to produce a, a simulator. Um, we've got, you know, simulator maps um, to run this track and to practice 
um, you know, the theoretical layout from CAD and from track scans. Mm. But, you know, the track's changing even now. We know there's repaving work going on. They're still finalizing barrier positions. And, you know, that, that could make huge effects to cornering speed and, and how you set the car up. <laughs> so, you know, I think we'll go there with something that's a pretty stable base, pretty conservative, and, and, and hope to sort of narrow in really fast on, you know, you want to make sure you've got gears that are half sensible to drive around there, that the car's not crashing into the ground, you're not doing anything silly, um, and a, a car that's got a pretty sensible handling base basis. You know, for us, we've got obviously our database of how we tend to run our cars on street circuits, and um, we'll probably go with something that's fairly well known. Well, listen, you might want to keep uh, tuned to the rest of the show, because following you in our final segment, We'll visit with Jason Rittenberry, who's the CEO of the Music City Grand Prix. And I don't know about my partner, but I intend to grill him like a leftover 4th of <laughs> July Hamburg about what we should expect and what the hell they've designed there. Yeah, I mean, the track layout looks pretty wild. I think it's going to be something very different and pretty unique. Um, and I think they're putting a lot into the promotion there. It's, it's going to be exciting, I think. You know, Gavin, as a, as a race car driver, we'll say that the responsibility, the biggest responsibility, it's on you guys because it's an unknown track. So especially with the lack of uh, practice session, I would say the 80% of the work is coming from the shop and you're setting the car up for Joseph. So I guess. Uh, oh, man, spoken a like a true driver. <laughs> you know, blame the engineer. You know, that's typical, Gavin, typical. Yeah, well, we're all here working as a team, you know, so, but yeah, I think that's, you know, I think something that Joseph and I do do well is, is sort of studying previous years and data and video and, and, and really chipping away at getting the details right. And obviously going here, it's, there's none of that to do. So we're gonna have to get creative to try and, you know, get, get an advantage. But also, I think, you know, it gives the drivers a pretty good opportunity to shine with how they can adapt and learn a new track quickly, especially with a limited practice time. Well, listen, we appreciate you stopping by. Know that you've got a pretty good workload, despite what people may think on the outside. And uh, <laughs> don't, don't, don't let guys like TK put all of the burden on you with this uh, Music City Grand Prix. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Great. All right. That's Gavin Ward, Team Penske's race engineer for the Mid-Ohio winner, Joseph Newgarden. Coming up next, as I said, Jason Rittenberry, the chief operating officer at the Music City Grand Prix, will be joining us. We'll try to ferret out, TK, some of the tricks that they have introduced that have absolutely got my attention. And I think if I'm strapped in an IndyCar going across the War Memorial Bridge, I believe it may be the very first time that a bridge has been part of a street course. We'll be back with that right here on Brick by Brick after this timeout. Coming up next, Jason Rittenberry, the chief operating officer at the Music City Grand Prix. Jason, the countdown clock has begun. Uh, how excited is the city of Nashville? This city is on fire for this event. They are super excited about it. We're getting support from everyone in this community, from race fans you know, all over the country. We've sold tickets to, uh, I believe the last count was 48 states in three countries. Mm. So, you know, got a few states we still need to sell to, but it is going to be a great crowd, huge crowd, and uh, everyone's looking forward to coming to Music City because this is going to be so much more than just a race. 
Quick pit stop, and then we're back on the track. This, this is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick on NBC Sports Audio Channel 211. This is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. Right now, we are pleased to have joining us the Chief Operating Officer for what I think will turn out to be, TK, the most fascinating temporary street course that anybody has ever driven on when Nashville hosts their very first Music City Grand Prix sponsored by The Big Machine. Jason Rittenberry is the chief operating officer there. And uh, Jason, the countdown clock has begun. Uh, How excited is the city of Nashville? And this city is on fire for this event. They are super excited about it. We're getting support from everyone in this community. Uh, and not really, not just the Nashville community, all Middle Tennessee and from race fans, you know, all over the country. Uh, we, we've sold tickets to, uh, I believe the last count was 48 states in three countries. Mm. So, you know, got a few states we still need to sell to, but uh, it is going to be a great crowd, huge crowd. And uh, everyone's looking forward to coming to Music City because this is going to be, you know, so much more than just a race. I mean, Jason, obviously, uh my good friends at Big Machine. I've been in Nashville plenty of times. I'm so jealous that uh, I am not racing there. I, I tried to convince Scott to fill the car for me just for that race. I mean, you guys doing an awesome job. What, as a fan, what can we expect? Obviously, we know it's the Indy cars is on the streets. I mean, we have, I mean, going to that bridge, I, I'm going to ask, actually, I'll be there the whole weekend helping promote the race. Uh, I'm going to ask to go in the two-seater just to go through the circuit and go through that bridge. But as a fan, it's the street course. I know you guys, you know, you've been in the entertaining business uh, for a long time. What are you guys adding to the show that we can expect if we're coming to a racetrack to see fast cars? But, you know, come on, let's face it, it's Nashville. So what, what can we expect? Man, it, it, like I said, it's going to be so much more than just a race. But you said it, Tony, it, it's Nashville. So we, you know, we are pushing the limits on everything we can here to, to put as much entertainment as we can in a three-day period. So we've got, you know, multiple race series on the track. So lots of on-track excitement and entertainment. But obviously it is the music city. And so there's a ton of music. Uh, we have headline concerts each night, Friday night, you know, a show you can only see in Nashville. You know, Brooks and Dunn and Vince Neal on the same stage together. That's not going to happen anywhere else. Uh, and just today, we announced our Saturday night headliner. We have country superstar John Party is going to be headlining mm. uh, Saturday night. Literally, we just announced that an hour ago. Uh, and then Sunday night, something that's really cool and different that's never happened before is the, the Grand Old Opry here in Nashville, which everyone knows, uh, the longest running radio show in country music or in, in, in radio period. They are actually moving their Sunday night their regularly scheduled Sunday night Grand Old Opry show. They're moving it out of the Opry and moving it to our stage uh, here at wow. the City Grand Prix. That's unheard of. That's yeah. Sunday night show, you know, headlined by Alan Jackson. Uh, so, I mean, look at the three nights of, of music alone. Uh, Brooks and Dunn, Vince Neil, John Party, Alan Jackson. Uh, and the list goes on. You know, Friday night, we've got Brooks and Dunn, Jamie Johnson, Vince Neil, Tyler Farr and John Elefante from Kansas. So huge lineup Friday night, uh, Saturday night, John Party, and then Sunday night uh, with that Opry show, we've got Alan Jackson, Justin Moore, Riley Green, uh, Daniel Bradbury, and Calista Clark. So 
a lot of big wow. label group artists, uh, lots of entertainment. And that's just on the music stage. That's just the one main stage. We've got two other stages with music. So we'll have the headline shows on the main stage. All day, every day, we'll have music uh, going on our, our new Sounds of Nashville stage, which are a lot of up-and-coming artists. Uh, and then that's just the music. We have uh, culinary experiences throughout the day, multiple food trucks with, you know, featuring different types of food each day. And to kick off the weekend, we have our Thursday night fan fest on Broadway, uh, which will feature driver autograph sessions, uh, pit stop challenge by several of the IndyCar teams, uh, all taking place right on Broadway in downtown Nashville. I am going to be there actually uh, commentating that. So, so I know be, that will be fun. I know that was a lot to answer that question, Jack, but it's uh, yeah. a lot going well, on. In well, this but listen, game. Jason, you, you got to add brick by brick. Our show, me and TK, we'll be there live. Going to be there night. live. That's right. That's so right. I mean, and actually, we... Jack, after after uh, he said all that, I'm actually not said that I'm not racing. I'm going to go potty. <laughs> yeah, don't <laughs> race. You know, the only thing that would be better, TK, is much the way Kyle Petty appeared in the Grand Old Opry. If you and Nah, never mind. You and I never carry mind. A team. Never yeah. mind. <laughs> Jason, I, I want to know a little bit more into the thought process that went into designing this race course and incorporating, because I think this is the big focus. Uh, and certainly it is with Gavin Ward, uh, team Penske, one of team Penske's engineers that we chatted with in the previous segment going across that bridge. Uh, can you share with us how the thought process developed to incorporate that into the layout? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as some of you know, and, and I know both of you guys probably know, this, this race has been a, an idea for multiple years. It's been through a couple iterations. Uh, the first iteration of this did not have it going across the bridge. It was, you know, a different time, a different day, mm -hmm. and quite frankly, a different mayor in Nashville. And that's, uh, that's really what limited the course in the first initial go around. There's, there's public documents from a sports council meeting online from years ago where it had a, you know, quite frankly, a pretty boring course layout. Uh, around the stadium and around the streets on the east side of the river, not coming into downtown. So uh, when, when the three of us got together, Matt Cruz, you know, myself, Chris Parker, and, and we really you know, revived this uh, race to, to actually make it happen, we just felt like we had to do something big. It could not be a, you know, Nashville is a big city. It's an entertainment city. It had to be a, a, a great race circuit. And you know, we could have the best time in the world and had a great party, but the racing was no good. It, it you know, it, it wasn't going to be a success in our minds. And so uh, we started, you know, looking at the race designs. Uh, Tony Cotman's a track designer. Everyone knows Tony. So we are the best. Yeah. yeah, one of the best, the best in our opinion. Uh, we, you know, we tried to hire the best in every area we could for this event. And Tony was our top choice. And uh, so we, we said to Tony, we said, we really got to make this more exciting. What can we do? Can we go into downtown? You know, we obviously needed to avoid Broadway, the city. You know, we, we couldn't race down Broadway. You know, that's the one question everyone asks. Why are you racing down Broadway? Well, there's multiple reasons. One, we can't close down Broadway. But two, how do you sell a ticket when every, every building has a rooftop and they're going to watch it for free? So, you know, you know we, we got to be able to sell tickets to this thing to make it work. So uh, we just designed it and really pitched it to the mayor. Uh, the, the previous mayors were not open to it going into downtown, but this mayor actually brought it up to us and said, hey, we've got to get this into downtown. We got to have, mm. you know, the view of Nashville, uh, 
what we're presenting to the world of Nashville has got to include downtown. It's got to include that iconic skyline. It's got to include all those things. And so uh, it was really supported by the current mayor. And we are super excited to be able to add that in. Uh, you know, we, we said when we first started announcing this that it was the only race that races over body water. And, you know, we got corrected very quickly by some by a few people in the industry that I believe some F1 races have raced over a body of water. But, you know, in my mind, we're in Tennessee. I said they just raced over a creek. That wasn't really a body of water. <laughs> you know, when you're racing 40 or, 40 or 50 feet over a body of water, that's a creek. We're racing 2,100 feet across water, and we're 190 feet in there above a river. That's across a body of water. And so this is going to be, you know, the view, the start of this race. IndyCar was very you know, open to us moving the starting line over on the bridge. So the iconic shot, the money shot, the chamber of commerce shot, whatever you want to call it for this race. And we expect to see in, in all the highlight, highlight films for years to come is going to be the green flag on this race. Uh, with those cars starting, coming over that bridge, you've got, you know, that helicopter TV shot of the bridge, the cars, the green flag, the skyline behind it, the stadium behind it. That is, you know, that's the reason when, when I see that on television, that'll make all this, you know, 11, 12 months worth of work, all worth it, because that's going to be an amazing shot. And, you know, not only is it going to be cool for the city and cool for us, you know, we, we've heard from a lot of the drivers. Uh, Joseph was just here last week walking the track with us. Andy Carr was here. You know, he, he feels like the, you know, the bridge is really what makes the track. It, it's a, a long straightaway, exciting, fast racing, uh, but there's also some, you know, some tight turns, some, you know, some turns that are going to take some work, uh, you know, uh, let Tony probably talk more about that. I'm not a driver. So, uh, but just listening to Joseph, I've, I've planned plenty of races and promoted plenty of design tracks with Tony, but never driven them on, on the course. So I'm a, I'm a promoter, not a racer. So let Tony talk about the excitement of the track. But from our standpoint, we wanted it to be an exciting course. We wanted to feature downtown. We wanted to see that skyline and, and all those TV shots and, uh, we're just we're just happy the mayor was on board, the city was on board, and everyone approved it. Uh, and you know we're, we're taking all the contingencies to 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 make that as safe as possible. Uh, and we're we're planning for the worst if something were to happen. That's a lot of the questions people have for us about that bridge. Is you know what are you doing? What are you doing different? Well, we're doing all the things that you know we need to do to, to have the contingencies in place if something were to happen on the bridge, over the bridge, in the water, etc. Uh, we're planning for all of that, and everyone is. Uh, Everyone is on board with with making all that happen. Obviously, we know the you know the hurdles that it goes through. I mean, uh, even like I think for the listeners, uh, when you know you're sitting here talking to us, Jason, and uh, people have no idea what goes behind, especially in a street course event, that you have to bring barriers, you have to prepare the city, you know, a month, two months in advance i mean how beneficial is that for nashville i think how we you know obviously it becomes a little bit of a, for some people uh, a little bit of an inconvenient right we are talking about building things downtown and then now everybody is somewhere we're finally kind of opening the country to everybody to go out so have you got a very i mean i know you talked about that already but from the locals, have you got a very good response on, you know, obviously we're building a racetrack in the middle of downtown and we're going to stop traffic for five days here. Um, but how, how the response locally has been? Well, I think the timing of our race hitting was perfect for us, honestly. It's, it's coming back out of the pandemic. 
everything opening back up. Businesses are ready for for business. They're ready. Nashville is back open. And so, you know, in a, in a non-pandemic year, we're coming out of this. I think we would have supported business communities, but especially right now coming out of the pandemic and us being the first major event in the city and us bringing the number of visitors we're bringing to the city, all of downtown is fully supportive of this event. They are ready for the, you know, 50, 60, 70,000 number of people that we're bringing to town. Uh, you know, we, we feel like we're going to have about 110,000 over the three days. Uh, you know, we've already sold out all the hotels downtown. Uh, downtown's excited. The businesses are fully supportive. And yes, it is going to inconvenience a few, you know, a few people for, you know, a, a little bit of time period. But, you know, I, I think they're open to it. The the businesses are fully supportive and the residents that live downtown have been, you know, we've done our very best to be a great community partner and a great corporate partner uh, and to prepare them, to give them the information plenty of time in advance, uh, working with the police department on the, on the road closures and the rerouting of the traffic. And, you know, we feel like we designed the course uh, to have as little disruption to businesses as possible. Uh, there's literally three businesses that are going to be disrupted in downtown Nashville because of this race. And we've bought all three of them out for the week. So uh, two of them are hotels. So we've bought out every room in those two hotels for the week. And we're reselling those in packages or putting staff in them. Uh, and the third is an Exxon station that's literally in the middle of the paddock. Uh, and so we've bought it out for three days. We paid them to close their doors for three days. So, you know, we've done everything we could possibly do to, uh, to accommodate everyone in downtown Nashville. Uh, from a business standpoint and to be a good community partner. And so uh, we, we've got good support and have had very, very little feedback, uh, negative feedback, that is, from, uh, from the businesses or the residents in downtown. The ramp up has begun. The excitement factor is starting to roll from the very top of the mountain to the bottom. And when we get there, uh, it sounds like it's going to be probably one of the entertainment slash sporting events uh, events that is a must see and a must attend. And we appreciate your visiting with us and giving us a little bit of a look behind the curtain for the, uh, the big machine Nash, uh, Nashville grand prix on the road course. Thanks so much. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Well, TK, that brings the curtain down on this week's brick by brick. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I meant what I said to Jason, uh, the, the, the anticipation is beginning to build. Uh, I, I, for one, just can't wait for us to get there and be part of the entertainment, the celebration, and, and what I think is going to end up being one of the most spectacular events staged by IndyCar. Oh, yeah. I mean, you heard him. I mean, I, we asked him one question, and he almost went his entire interview. That's for so many things that they have going on. And yeah. I'm actually excited for many reasons, Jack. Obviously, um, you know, a lot of my sponsors actually are from there. I'm going there, but actually, I'm going to say, you probably didn't realize this, but a year ago, uh, more than that, a year and a half ago, we were supposed to do our first show together in St. Pete, yeah. opening of the IndyCar season. It was going to be my first show with you guys. Dinger was there too. I was just uh, part-time on the show, and uh, we got called last minute. So we never, since then have done a live show together. So this will probably kick off for real 
the brick brick by brick. So I'm excited well, about that. Here's the problem. It could be the first and, and the last. <laughs> and the last at the very same time. I, I don't know about you, but I want to see one IndyCar driver have his fire suit designed with the bottoms looking like cowboy boots. Maybe we could convince New Garden to do that. Maybe, you know, the easiest one to convince is the four-time Elio. Yeah, that's true. Do whatever. That's whatever. true. Whatever. Well, you work it's on that when you get back. first race back. I'll work on that in the, not this weekend, but next weekend. We are actually in Nashville. We set right. back our acts. Bring the curtain uh, down actually, on the series. Uh, I'll work on that. Lay that one on him. Hey, remember, if you missed any of today's show or any of our others, they're all available. All you have to have is the SiriusXM app, and uh, you can search for Brick by Brick. And as I've said, if you want more racing news with stars from IndyCar, but from NASCAR and America's short tracks as well, please be sure to download my weekly podcast. It's called Jackaroot's Wind Tunnel. And each week, in addition to our guests, I tell stories from my 60 years in the racing world. And some of them, well, let's just say, thank heavens it's a podcast. That's Jackaroot's Wind Tunnel, available wherever you get your podcasts and on the Sirius XM app as well. My thanks to our guests. And a quick reminder that the executive producer of our show is Andy King. And the show is always produced by Nate Lee. Join us next week, won't you? When we focus on more action from the NTT IndyCar series. Until then, for Tony Kanan, who is in Brazil, getting ready to go stock car racing. I'm Jack Aroot. Thanks so much for joining us right here on Brick by Brick on Sirius XM, NBC Audio, Channel 211. See you all next week, everyone.